One of my favorite books growing up was by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the different characters that we find in that book. And maybe some of you guys have read it. I'm sure many of you guys have read it in times past and even seen uh, the movie looking at um, the Chronicles of Narnia. And you look at those characters. There are some powerful characters in there. Do you guys remember the name of the king? King Aslan and the power that he had and how he was able to save the day. C.S. Lewis certainly had a way of making stories come to life and to really um, take us to different places. I'm saying all this for a reason. When you think about the story of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and those characters in there, those are all fictional. Those are all uh, fiction. They're, they're not real, and we understand that. And yet, many times, people tend to view the Bible the same way. People can tend to view the Bible and say, well, the Bible and the stories that we find in the Bible, they're not really, they're not really real either. Yeah, maybe there's some truth in the Word of God, but you know, some of these stories that you read about in the Bible, they're, they're fiction too. Or maybe they're just kind of made-up stories. Unfortunately, many people have this kind of view. And more than ever, the Word of God is under attack. There are many people who don't want people to believe that God's Word is true. And we need to make sure that we believe God's word is true. I want to share with you some examples where sometimes people say, well, the the stories that we read about are nothing more than myth or legend. You can't really trust them. Uh, Many times people start off with Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. We don't have time to read that, but that's what a lot of people say. You don't really believe that God created everything by speaking everything into existence, do you? And that he created all things in six days? And that he created man from the dust of the ground? That certainly is not true, is it? You can't really believe that. Another example that some people may go to to try to, to, to get people not to believe in the scriptures or to even ridicule those who do believe in the Bible is in the book of Genesis as well. In particular, Genesis chapter 19. Look over in Genesis chapter 19. You know the story I'm going to share with you? In Genesis chapter 19, a lot of people say, no, you know, it's an interesting story, but, you know, these things really didn't happen. In Genesis chapter 19, remember we read about Lot's wife. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 24, where the Bible says, The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And a lot of people say, all right, that." That didn't really happen either, fire and brimstone coming down from heaven. And, and he overthrew those cities and all the valleys and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And sometimes people say, okay, hold on a second here. All right, I'll believe in Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe, but a person turning into a pillar of salt? How does that happen? That just doesn't happen. You don't really believe that. That's got to be some type of myth or, or legend, right? That can't be true. And what about the story of Jonah? We're not going to read that because if you're here, we talked about that at the 9 o'clock hour, the story of Jonah. But did Jonah really survive in the belly of a great fish for three days and for three nights? That just seems to be a little absurd. I don't know if we can really believe that. And many times people go to another story in Numbers chapter 22. And people will go to this story and say, you can't tell me, or you won't get me to believe that the Bible is really true, and that I should believe what this book says, because when I read stories like this, I now have a lot of questions, I got a lot of doubts about this book. In Numbers chapter 22 and verse number 21, the Bible says, so Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab, verse 22. 
But God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his hand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? People look at this story and they say, a donkey speaking And she's saying, what have I done to you? There's no way that could ever happen. That can't be true. That's got to be some some made-up fictional story. And not only do they say that, but maybe even with the response of Balaam in verse 29, Balaam said to the donkey, so now you got a man talking to this animal. Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me. One of the things that's kind of funny about this story is how Balaam just seems to be holding this conversation with this donkey. You know, if you got a cat or a dog as a pet and your cat began to talk to you, if I was that, if that took place in my house, I think I'd step back a little bit. But Balaam's just having this conversation. He said, look, this is what you did to me. Now, I believe this story. The question is, do you believe this story? Do we believe this story? A lot of people don't believe these kinds of stories. A worldwide flood, a man living in the belly of a fish, a donkey speaking to its master, and many reject these stories, and as a result, they reject the Bible. And they often will say, why believe in a book, even if it may contain some truth that has these make-believe stories? So if someone challenged you with these stories, how might you respond? They take you to these stories, and they say, I mean, you can't really buy into this, do you? How are we going to give answers to people who have questions like this? Brothers and sisters, the truth of the matter is our faith is going to be tested. Our faith will be challenged, and therefore we need to have an answer. And maybe some, 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 some people right now, maybe their faith, your faith is being challenged at this very moment. I want to talk a few minutes about myths, legends, or facts. A lot of times people attack these stories and attack the Word of God and say that we can't really buy into this and we can't really believe this. And I would say about four years ago, it really stood out to me, a young man who was 12 years old, and he really had questions about the Bible, about the reliability of the Scriptures. I don't know if I've ever studied with a 12-year-old in times past who had some serious questions about, can he really trust the Bible? And yet this young man, thankfully, would go on to obey the gospel. But it's a reminder for us as parents, as adults, and really for all of us as young people as well, that we need to have answers to these kinds of questions. And we need to know that indeed we can believe the Bible to be true, that we can trust what we have in the Word of God. And maybe the best way to approach a study like this, there's a lot to talk about, uh, but with the sake of time, maybe the best way to talk about and to answer some of these questions, can we really trust what we have? And are these stories really true? Is first by beginning to see what did Jesus really believe about these stories? If we can understand what Jesus believed about these stories, I think that's a great place to begin and to launch even in a Bible study. And I say that for a couple of reasons. If you've been doing your Bible reading, look over in Luke chapter 1. Remember how Luke set up the, the entire book with what he said in Luke chapter 1 in the first four verses. Luke, before he talks about anything pertaining to Christ and his ministry and who he is, he would make it very clear to Theophilus that indeed 
Jesus or that the words that we have here are the exact truth. In Luke chapter 1 and verse number 1, Luke said this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. Theophilus, you don't have to doubt. You don't have to have questions. You can know the exact truth because of the eyewitness testimony that I have. I've carefully written this. Luke certainly was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he wanted Theophilus to know that you can be confident that what we have here pertaining to Jesus and what Jesus would teach and the things that Jesus would do, these things are true. We know in John chapter 16, look over in John chapter 16 and verse number 13, in John chapter 16 and verse 13, as Jesus had this conversation with his apostles, really going back to John chapter 13, and John 16 and verse 12 and 13, we're reminded that the apostles, they were guided. They were going to be guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit, which gives us confidence to know that what Jesus says and what he's going to say about those examples that I shared with you earlier, that these things indeed are true. John said, I have many things that Jesus said in verse 12 of John 16, I have many more things to say say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak in his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus making it clear that the apostles would be guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. And so we can be confident that what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we read in the New Testament indeed is the word of God and what Jesus says is true. And let me give you one more example here in 2 Peter chapter 1. As Peter was writing to the saints, and I'm just showing you these examples because as we think about what Jesus believed about these stories that we read about in the Old Testament, we need to know that we can be confident that the words that we have of Jesus Christ indeed are true, that what we have in both the Old and the New Testament are true, and that what we have concerning the life of Jesus is true. In Second Peter chapter 1, Peter was, was near death, and he said in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 15, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Listen to what he says. For we did not cleverly devise tales or follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. What Peter is emphasizing is that Peter and the other apostles, they did not follow cleverly devised tales with respect to Jesus Christ. And what they had given to the disciples indeed was true. It was factual. It was something that they needed to believe. And so as we think about what Jesus says about these stories or about these examples that I shared with you earlier, uh, we need to know that whatever he says indeed is true. And what we have recorded for us is the truth. And so one of the best places maybe to begin when you're talking to someone or studying with someone, or even if you have questions, what did Jesus say about this? And what did Jesus believe concerning these stories? Let me show you a couple of examples of what Jesus believed. In Matthew chapter 19, a, pop, a popular passage that we sometimes go to, and there's so much in there, 
Well, they'll put up all of them, so we'll just leave them up there. Jesus believed in the creation account. Look at Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus put his stamp of approval on the creation account. In Matthew 19, as he was talking about divorce, here's all I want you to notice here is that Jesus went back to the beginning, and he emphasized and he believed that what we read in Genesis 1 and 2 indeed are true. He answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus believed Genesis 1 and 2 to be true. We need to believe the same thing that Jesus believed. We know that what happened in the beginning indeed is true. In our Bible reading, look over in Luke chapter 17. We're not there yet, but we'll get there in Luke chapter 17. I want you to notice what Jesus said about the story of Lot and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse number 28. Look at this story with me, please. Luke 17 and verse number 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It, shall, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who's on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who was in the field must not turn back. Remember who? Lot's wife. Jesus put his stamp of approval on that story. Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed, destroyed by fire and brimstone from heaven. Lot's wife indeed turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus believed that. And we need to believe that as well. And Jesus put his stamp of approval on the story of Jonah. Let's go back and we'll read it again. We read it earlier this morning. Look again in Matthew chapter 12. And I'm emphasizing this particularly for young people, but for all of us as well. There is great danger out there where there's so many uh, voices to try to get us to believe or to even have doubts about these stories that we read about in the Bible. You need to put your confidence in God and put your trust in what the Bible has to say and what Jesus believed. In, Luke, in Matthew chapter 12, the, in verse number 39, he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. He believed that Jonah really did live, that he was a prophet. For just as Jonah, here it is, was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah really was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. What about the story of Balaam? Well, Jesus never said anything directly about the story of Balaam and the talking donkey, but his apostles did. Peter actually spoke about Balaam. Look over in 2 Peter chapter 2. And Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and we can trust his words the same. In 2 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to notice what Peter says as he spoke about false teachers. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 15, Peter said this, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed, here it is, the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he doesn't stop here. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. 
You see, Peter believed in the story of Balaam. And you read 2 Peter, he's going to talk about the worldwide flood, as we talked about last week. He believed in these Old Testament stories. And the point of all of this is that Jesus knew these events to be true. And he believed these events to be true. And we need to believe, indeed, that these events are true. The Bible is right. And the Bible is not a book of myths or legends or fiction, fictional types of stories. We can believe that what we have indeed is indeed the Word of God, Genesis through Revelation. Now, sometimes people want to know, well, did anyone else believe these types of things? Any historians? And the answer to that is yes. And I've used this example before, and I'll use it again. The historian named Josephus, who lived in the first century, he was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. And I don't have his, I have his book in my office. So I'm not going to read it now. But when you read it, you know what he talked about? He talked about how the world was created in six days. He talked about how Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed by fire and brimstone. He talked about Lot's wife. He talked about the story of Jonah. He talked about Balaam. Why? If these things are just made-up fictional stories, why emphasize that these things really did happen? Brothers and sisters, we can be confident that what we have in God's Word is indeed true. We need to believe the Bible. And yet the question remains, why is it that so many people reject these stories? Why is it that so many people just uh, just say that these stories are not necessary or these these stories are not true? I think there are a couple of reasons as to why sometimes people reject these stories. One reason why some reject these stories is that sometimes people just believe that these stories are just too far-fetched. You know, they can say, well, listen, the Bible is true in some areas, uh, but these stories just don't seem to, you know, these, these can't be real. And then I think a lot of times people fall into that category. However, I will say this. I believe a lot of people can be persuaded and understanding that what we have indeed is the Word of God, as we share with them more evidence. If you listen to what Kevin said in the Lord's Supper, he spoke from Isaiah 52. And Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 were speaking about the coming Messiah and prophesying about the things that he was going to do. And one of the things, one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that we have in the Word of God is predictive prophecy. And that certainly is powerful evidence to help people to see that these things that we have in God's Word indeed are true. But it's not just with predictive prophecy. You have eyewitness testimony in the Gospels. And you have all of this evidence that sometimes people just aren't aware of. The fact that Paul's life was drastically changed after seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus. Many times people are simply not aware of this information. And as we teach them the truth and help them to see that the Bible really is a book of truth and that it is true and trustworthy in all things. We have a class in the back looking at archaeology and how all the things that people continue to find today, when it has any type of connection to the Bible, it is always lining up with the Bible, with what the Bible has to say. And so many times people believe that these stories may be far-fetched, but I believe they can be convinced. But maybe the biggest reason that some refuse to believe these stories is simply because they reject the idea of miracles. A donkey speaking, that is something that typically doesn't happen. I think we could say that that, that, that was a miracle. Lot's wife turning into salt. All these events that we read about, uh, these stories in the Old Testament, uh, many of those things were miraculous in nature. And a miracle is a special act of God that interrupts the normal course of events. And yet many people do not believe in miracles. Because if they believe in miracles, what does that also mean? It also means that, that, God, that God is real. If miracles are really taking place, or if miracles in the past have taken place, then it means that there must be someone outside of this physical realm, someone who is immaterial in nature, 
everlasting, and powerful. The Bible says that person is God. We know in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that God is spirit. He's not, he's not flesh and blood. We know in Psalm 90 and verse number 2 that God by Moses is described as being from everlasting to everlasting. He's outside of time. We know from passages like Genesis chapter 17 that God, he is almighty, he is powerful in nature. And if this is true, that there's an all-powerful, timeless, immaterial, personal God, then maybe the story is like the creation account and Lot's wife and a talking, talking donkey are not as absurd as people say that they are. Is it absurd to think that God, if he created the animals and he was able to create man from the dust of the ground, is it really absurd to think that he could make one of his animals speak? Is it absurd to think that, that he could turn one of his humans that he created into salt and preserve another one in the belly of a fish? That's not too far-fetched if he created all things in the beginning. But it is only if people view things from a natural perspective. So many times people just simply leave out the supernatural. And I know sometimes people are really quick to laugh at this. I don't know if you're really going to get me to buy into a talking donkey, okay? That just seems a little bit out there. And you know what? People laugh at this too. And sometimes we may even feel a little bit ashamed of some of these stories. I don't know if I want people to know some of these stories are in the Bible. Listen, never feel ashamed about the Word of God. Never feel ashamed about what we read about in the Bible. It doesn't matter whether or not people will laugh at us. You know what's funny? People will mock those who believe in the Word of God, and yet they believe that life came from non-life. That seems a little bit absurd, don't you think? That life comes from non-life, and then they call it science. And everybody's so, so, just supposed to buy, in the de- uh, buy into that. When's the last time anybody saw life come from non-life? And yet people say, no, that's something that all of us can believe in. People will laugh at the idea that a person can be turned into salt miraculously, and yet they believe that a frog essentially evolved into a man. And everyone's supposed to buy into that. Someone shared this with me, and I like this illustration. What do you call it when a princess kisses a frog and he turns into a man? You call that a fairy tale, right? That's Disney-type stuff. But what do we call it when a frog over millions of years evolves into a man? People call that science. Well, that's absurd. And yet many people buy into that and are quick to reject these stories that we have in the Word of God. You don't buy into that. Make sure that we don't buy into that. The truth is people reject the idea of miracles and the power of God. And they actually do something that not even the enemies of Jesus would do. In John chapter 12, In John chapter 12, Jesus had many enemies. If you've been doing the daily Bible reading, it is amazing to see just how many people were against him and how he was so focused on on the work that he had to do. But I want you to notice that people today often reject the very things that not even the enemies of Jesus would reject. While Jesus had many enemies, they didn't reject the fact that there were some things taking place, that he was performing miracles. Now, sometimes they accused him that he was doing it by the power of Beelzebub. I think that's in Matthew chapter 12. But there's no doubt that they recognized there was something miraculous taking place. In Luke chapter 12 and verse number 17, the Bible says, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb 
and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. The Pharisees and the enemies of Jesus, they they saw these signs that were taking place, but they didn't utterly reject them and say, no, these things were not really taking place. They were trying to stop him if possible. And they would do that also with the apostles in Acts chapter 4. We know that these men have done a notable miracle. And the point I'm just trying to make is that even the enemies of Jesus, even the enemies of the of the apostles and the saints in the first century recognized that these miraculous events were taking place, and yet so many people today reject this very idea. The fact of the matter is the Bible indeed is right, and these stories really did happen. God really did speak everything into existence in six days. God really did flood the world with, or, or destroy the world with a flood. Lot's wife really did turn into salt. Sodom and Gomorrah really was destroyed with fire and brimstone. And yes, the donkey really did speak to Balaam. The fact is, atheism is wrong. It's false. And yet so many people, unfortunately, buy into it. And so many people, unfortunately, buy into evolution. And brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we guard our faith and help our children to see that what we have in the Word of God indeed is true. Someone has said this about atheism, that atheism is worse than magic, because at least with magic you have a hat and a rabbit. But with atheism you have nothing, and yet you have to believe that everything came from nothing. Now, we need to help the atheists and the agnostics to believe that God indeed is real, but we also need to make sure that we guard ourselves against the arguments and the attacks that often come where people try to say that this book is a book that you can't really trust. This book is not a book of myths or legends. It is a book of facts. It is true. Now, someone else may be thinking, well, does it really matter what I believe about these stories? Look, I believe in Jesus. Does it really matter if I believe that the creation account took place in six days? Does it really matter if if Sodom and Gomorrah really was destroyed by fire and brimstone? Does it really matter if I believe that Jonah was in the belly of the great sea monster for three days and three nights? How would you answer that question? The answer to the question is yes, it really does matter. It really does matter that we believe these stories to be true. It matters for a lot of reasons. Number one, if we can't believe these stories to be true, how do we determine what's true and what's not true? How do we pick and choose if Genesis 1 and 2 is not true, but parts of chapter 3 may be true, and maybe chapter 6 and chapter 7? How do we go about even doing that? If these stories are not true, then, then we can't really trust anything in the Bible. Either these stories really did happen or they didn't. It really does matter what we believe. And to young people, I want you to hear this good. It really matters what you believe. I understand we can read different books and see different movies and things like that, but we need to make sure that we truly understand that we have come from God. We didn't evolve from some slime or some frog over millions of years, but rather we are created in the image of God. These stories really do matter. Because it reminds us indeed that God is real, that he indeed had the power and he created all things in six days. He spoke all things into existence. And when you think about what God has done, we just can't throw away these stories and say, well, I don't really want to talk about that or that just seems a little bit out there. No, these stories are real. 
and God is real. We need to believe that, and we need to know that we are special in his sight. One of the big things about Genesis 1 and 2 in particular is that we are made in his image. And that's something powerful that we should never forget about, that we are made in the image of God. And this is why these stories are so important. And this is why we need to believe these stories to be true. We need to believe these stories to be true because it means that how we live, it really matters. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah was a story about judgment and destruction because they were not living in the manner in which God wanted them to live. And we need to believe these stories because they do remind us that, that God sees all things, whether it's with the worldwide flood and the violence that was taking place in the days of Noah or the wickedness of those in the city of Nineveh. God really does see what is taking place, and it really does matter how we live our lives. And these stories really do matter to us because it reminds us, these stories remind us that God is real, that we are made in his image, that we're not merely flesh and blood, and that we have a soul, and that we're going to have to stand before him one day. These stories really do matter. And they're not myths, they're not legends, they really did take place. The question is, are we going to fully buy into the stories of what we read in the Bible? Jesus believed these stories to be true, and they are factual in nature. And as we think about these stories these different miraculous events that took place. Let's also be sure that we are certain that what took place with Jesus really did happen too. He really did die on the cross. He really did pay the penalty, the price for our sins. That's not something that's just made up by the disciples in the first century, that this man named Jesus lived this sinless life. He really did come on earth and live a sinless life, and died for us. And they really did put his body in a tomb. And he was really in there for three days and for three nights. And he really rose from the grave on the first day of the week. And he really did ascend back into heaven. And he really loves you. And he really loves me. And we need to be certain of this. As Peter said, we have not followed cleverly devised tales. What we have, my friend, is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we need to believe everything from Genesis to Revelation. Do you believe? Do you believe God? God is real and that he loves you. Will you follow him if you believe? Will you obey him and give your life in serving him and being a servant the rest of your days. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. That's how we need to respond. These stories, they really do matter. They're not myth. They're not legends. They are real. They're facts. These events took place. Let's make sure we trust them. Let's make sure we're obedient to God. If you need to be obedient to our Father in Heaven today, we invite you to do so as we stand and as we sing.